Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We are honored you've chosen to listen and pray you're blessed by this talk. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit bravechurch.org. All right. Hey, guys, uh, glad that you're here. You know, happiness is something that all of us want, right? But we're not always sure how to obtain it or even how to sustain it. And researchers have concluded that our search to find what we think is ultimate joy in our lives is oftentimes actually hurting our chances of getting it. That the problem comes when we keep delaying our happiness in favor of getting more things done so that we can be even more happier later. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, we have these goals and these desires and these things that we want in life, and there's always something out in front of us that we want to achieve, and in the pursuit of those goals, we miss the present. We have this illusion that success, fame, money, whatever, however you want to fill in the blank, a new puppy, you know, new kids, a new car, we've got a lot of new kids around here, new babies, new houses, maybe the right vacation, that whatever we're chasing will bring us some kind of fulfillment in that. But the truth be told that we often expect that we'll be happy when we kind of just get this, you know, when I get this one project behind me, if I can just get through this, then I'll, I'll have time to connect with you or have lunch with you. If I can just get through this project. And then there's another project. And then there's another project. And so the paradox of it all is that this, slowing down and waiting... Focusing on what is happening in front of you like right now, being fully present instead of always having something on your mind called the next thing will actually make you more successful in your future. Those who are able to be fully present in the moment are more successful in the future. Remaining present rather than constantly focusing on what I have to do next will actually make you more productive. According to a Harvard study, adults spend only about 50% of their time in the present moment. In other words, we're mentally checked out half of the time. Through this talk, (laughs) 50% of you will be mentally checked out, right? So we've got a good view out that window, right? Mount Diablo. Special edition of Time says this. This just came out. The roles we play in society influence where we fall on the happiness spectrum. The number one ranked happiest people in their jobs, here's the ranking, just came out, fresh study. Number one is clergy, that's me, and I am happy, (laughs) happy to be your pastor. Number two is firefighters, because we all know what they do, anyway. Number three, ticket agents. Uh, I I guess it's because you get into the game or the concert for free. Ticket agents, followed by architects, uh, special ed teachers, number five. Number six, the happiest people are actors. That's probably because they get to spend all their time pretending to be someone they're not. I don't know. Number seven is pilots. Number eight, now this surprised me, number eight, the happiest person on their job in the United States of America are butlers. I think Downton Abbey had something to do with this. I don't know what it is. Maybe they just like living in really nice big houses. If you're a butler, it's a pretty nice situation, right? Currently, one-third of all the Americans consider themselves very happy, only a third. About half are pretty happy, and uh, the rest are not happy at all. In politics, the independents are the least happiest, followed by the Democrats, 
followed by the Republicans. I don't know why the Republicans are happier than the Democrats. I don't know why. By age, the happiest people are those who are retired and over the age of 65. I can understand that. But there's good news for every one of us, regardless of your job, your political party, or age. Listen to this. These are the facts. Time Magazine. Those who attend worship every Sunday are by far the happiest people in America. Just look at you. Look at you. However, if you only attend church once a month, your happiness level drops. And for those of you who rarely attend or never do, only 28%, 28% of all non-churchgoers are happy. So where did our happiness go? You know, when you were a kid, happiness is planned for you. After that, not so much, right? Kids, it's a trip to Disneyland or a small toy that you always wanted. Life's simple. But as an adult, in the adult life, Things become more challenging because things happen, stuff happens in our lives. So we're going to go back in time to an ancient city named Philippi, and we're going to read and discover timeless truths about true joy from a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. So let's begin with a little bit of background uh, about this book and this letter that was sent. If you have your programs, pull it out. You're going to need your notes this morning. Uh, Also, ushers, if you could come up front. Give us a raise of hand if you don't have notes. You're going to actually need notes this morning. There's also pins about every other chair in front of you. You're going to need those. Don't be bashful. Raise your hand. There's over there. Raise your hand if you need program notes. You're going to need these, okay? In your notes, I'm going to give you, uh, well, I was going to give you five laws of happiness, but because of the sake of time, we're going to skip the five laws of happiness, and I hope that will not make anyone unhappy. All right. Here's the background. What was the city of Philippi like? About 2,500 years ago, gold was discovered near Philippi, and a guy named King Philip of Macedon uh, found out, he decided that because of this gold, that all of the gold that was found near Philippi would be his. And so he makes his slaves mine it, and he takes all of the gold. And then he thinks, I better start a town around this gold So he puts an army around the gold to protect it, and he starts a new town, and he names the town after himself, King Philip, and he calls it Philippi. Well, about a year later, he gets assassinated. So his son becomes king, and maybe you heard of his son in your history classes. His his son's name was Alexander the Great. In fact, I have a picture. This is is a a picture of... uh, Alexander the Great, that was before he got his nose job, okay, in fairness to him, all right? Okay, so Alexander the Great, guess what he did? If you're going to have a massive war and you're going to take over the world, you're going to need funding. Guess where he got all of his gold to take over the world? It was this city, Philippi. A couple hundred years later, Caesar Augustus, having major conflicts over Rome and with two guys named Cassius and Brutus, who conspired to assassinate Julius Caesar. Well, war breaks out between these two guys and Caesar Augustus. And guess where the war took place? It was in this city, Philippi. And so in 42 BC, Philippi became famous as the place where, remember Mark Antony and Octavian, they defeated the Roman public forces of Brutus and Cassius and the assassins of, who were the assassins of Julius Caesar. And after they defeated both of them, they committed suicide. Philippi is then the place where Caesar Augustus becomes 
be Caesar of the entire Roman Empire. The emperor worship starts here in Philippi. People were told to bow down to Caesar or else. All that happens in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony in Greece. It's also a unique place in that Philippi was the intellectual center of the world at that time, and Rome was the power center at that time. So you have the power center and all the gold and an intellectual center all converging, the power and the intellect, a lot like our area in the San Francisco Bay Area. So the Apostle Paul decides we'd better start a church there. This would be a strategic thing to do. And you can read about the actual start of this Philippian church in Acts chapter 16. There you'll find the story. This was the first Christian church ever planted in all of Europe. And so it begins in Acts chapter 16, verse 12. It says, from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman city, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. So the church is basically started by a riot, believe it or not. A riot started this church. And Paul visits the people of Philippi numerous times. He has rich relationships in Philippi. Five years later in Rome, Paul is now imprisoned. And the Philippian church hears about Paul being in jail. They love Paul. We love this guy. What a great guy. We want to do something to help him. And so they decide to write him an encouraging letter. And they send him some money to help with his expenses. And they give the offering to a guy named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus takes the Philippians' love offering all the way to Rome and visits Paul. He almost dies on the way to visit Paul. Paul is so touched and so thrilled by the compassion from the church in Philippi that he reciprocates by writing them a thank you letter. And he gives it to Epaphroditus to take it to the Philippian church. That thank you letter is this book, the book of Philippians. Paul's theme throughout this book is joy. Philippians is the happiest book in all of the Bible. The word joy, the word glad, the word enjoy, the word rejoice, the words happy, happiness. These words are mentioned in different forms 17 different times in only 104 verses. It's the happiest book in the Bible. And it teaches us how to have a happy, joyous life, true joy. Now, Paul is in miserable circumstances when he writes this. He's in a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. There's no privacy. I mean, imagine that. You know, can you, hey, can you hand me the toilet paper? I mean, it's just a bummer, right? He's given a new guard every four hours. And by the way, the apostle Paul was in constant illness. He was sick during this entire time. And he writes this unbelievable letter about true joy. That's the kind of guy that I want to learn about joy from. In these first 11 verses, Paul describes a relationship to the people of Philippi, and he gives us four statements, what I would call four habits for happier and healthier relationships. And so let's read our opening passage there. You got your notes? Everybody got them? Okay, Philippians chapter one, verse one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In this passage, I find four notable things about Paul's relationship with the Philippians, four relational habits that if we practice these things, all of our relationships will be more enjoyable and our happiness levels will be greater. Now, they're very easy to explain what I'm gonna give you. They're simple to understand, but they're incredibly hard to apply. Four habits that increase happiness. Number one, they're in your notes. I must choose gratefulness for the people in my life. I must choose gratefulness. Go ahead and write that down. I must choose gratefulness for the people in my life. If you wanna have good relationships, it starts with the habit of you expressing gratitude for someone else. Now, you would think that's simple, but the truth of it is a lot of people, for whatever reason, they feel like that if I express gratitude for someone else, somehow it's taking away from me. It's kind of like we're all you know, waiting to be discovered ourselves somehow or affirmed or encouraged ourselves. And yet this habit of being willing to express gratitude and thankfulness to other people is what generates more happiness within our own lives. There's something about it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul starts off with this very first thing. He says, verse three, every time I think of you, I give thanks, I give thanks to God. He says, when I think about you, when I focus on the good times that we've had, when I think the good thoughts about you, this is the simple truth about good relationships. You must appreciate them and say it out loud. Happy families, happy people are good at expressing their love and appreciation and saying it, not just thinking it, but saying it. When, when marriages stop doing this, they crumble. When you stop remembering why you got married in the first place or why you were attracted to that person, when you stop remembering the good things and the good times, when you stop being grateful for your mate, your marriage is on this long, slow slide into oblivion. Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks for God to you. Now, let me ask you, be, be real honest. When you think of people in your life, do you automatically feel gratefulness for them? Too often when we think of other people, it's often more about, you know, they haven't called me or they haven't written me or they haven't asked me out or they haven't taken me to coffee or they haven't done this or they haven't done that for me. When we think of expectations about other people as opposed to, as I think of them, I'm just so grateful for them. Here's the problem. The longer you know someone, the more you tend to take them for granted. And the more you tend to focus on their faults because you know everything about them or at least you think you do. I don't know why that is, but it's easier to remember the bad times and reflect on those quicker than the happy times. And Paul says, every time I think about you, I give thanks. That's a habit to be that kind of person. Every time I think about you, I choose happy thoughts about you. And then he says in verse five, he says it again, I thank God for the help that you gave me. The church in Philippi 
Do you know how it started? There was a woman named Lydia, a businesswoman who opened up her home. And Paul says, from the very first day, you welcomed us and you helped us. It makes me think of Gary and Lisa uh, before we even started Brave Church. We were having lunch down in downtown Danville. Uh, We had not had a single gathering yet. And we're just having a conversation and for the very first time with them. And Gary says to me, uh, where do I send my tithe? We're all in. And they, they've been giving their time, they've been giving their talents, and they've been giving their resources ever since. And I thank God for them every time I think of them. That's, it takes great people to build a great church. Several times in Paul's travels, it was the Philippian church that funded Paul's travels. It was a giving church, a generous church. And in this particular incidence, they even sent a man named Aphroditus all the way to Rome to bring him a financial gift. And Paul says, I thank God for the help that you actually gave me. And I just wonder, what is it that you've forgotten that other people have done for you? Now, let me tell you something shocking. The truth is about Paul is he did not have a good time in Philippi at all. When you read this, you'd think, wow, what a great church start. Everything went really great. It was like the roughest church start of all the church starts. You don't get any of that from his letter. The fact is, when Paul went to start a church in Philippi, he was beaten, he was whipped. Now, we hear those words, but you have to imagine the emotional toll that takes to be humiliated with a whip. You don't just easily recover from being humiliated publicly and being whipped. He's humiliated, he's beaten, he's whipped, he was falsely arrested. You know, imagine me coming to plant a church, start a church, and the first thing I do is get arrested by the San Ramon Police Department. I don't know that we want to follow that guy. You know what I'm saying? He's thrown into prison, and then he survives an earthquake. And when they ask the city lead, and then the city leaders come to him and ask him to leave town. He is so rejected and so not wanted on so many different levels that most of us would go, hey, I don't think this is God's will. This is too rough. But Paul says this, when I think of Philippi, when I think of you, when I think of God and you, what is he doing? He's choosing his memory. He's choosing his memory. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened there, a lot of hurtful things, a lot of mean-spirited people. He could, have been, he could have spent the rest of his time of his life talking about when he was abused as a kid, when he was hurt as a kid, when he was attacked, when he tried to plant this church, how mean those people were, how unsupportive they were. He could have, the city fathers rejected me. He could have spent all of it. He could have, in his letter, he could have wrote about all of that. But Paul chose not to dwell on the painful memories. Are you still living with some painful memories with people in your life? You can't remember the good holding on to the past. You cannot be happy in the present holding on to the memories of a painful past. Good memories are a choice. Remember the best and forget the rest. Number two, write this down. I need to pray with joy for the people in my life. I need to pray with joy 
for the people. Doesn't it encourage you to know when somebody's praying for you? When I get a text from somebody or somebody calls me and says, hey, I've been praying for you, that encourages me. I take that really seriously when somebody says, hey, Pastor Darren, I'm praying for you. That means the world to me. It gives me the power and the grace to not become discouraged and to keep going. And then he says in verse four, he says, I always pray for you and I make my requests with a heart full of joy. I want you to think of somebody who irritates you. And if they're here, don't look at them. Just, just keep looking right up here, okay? Don't look, look at them. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's just somebody you have a strained relationship with or they just kind of rub you the wrong way. I have two questions for you. One, do you pray for them or do you just complain about them? Like I have a relationship right now that's on my heart, doesn't even live around here, and I'm praying for healing in their heart and in the, in the relationship. I'm envisioning like complete reconciliation in this relationship. And so like I'm praying intentionally for this. You choose the type of life that you live. I choose the habit of either complaining about others or I choose the habit of praying for others. Does complaining ever work? For those of you that complain a lot, has it ever really worked? You know who you are. Does it work? No. Does prayer work? You, yes, it does. And Paul says, I pray for you making requests in a heart full of joy, praying with joy in your heart. That's an interesting thought because I hadn't thought of that. I'm, I mean, I'm praying for everybody, but like to allow joy in my heart to swell up as I'm praying for somebody? Positive praying is more effective than positive thinking. Now, I'd rather have you thinking positively than negative, for sure. But all the positive thinking in the world isn't going to change your spouse, your child, your friend. Positive thinking alone is not enough. You know, positive thinking can help you and it can change you, but it can't change somebody else. The quickest way to change a bad relationship into a good one is to start praying for them. It'll change you. It'll change your heart. You might ask, what do I pray? And I want to encourage you to pray what Paul prayed here in verses 9 through 11. It says, and this is my prayer, that your love may grow abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, fulfilled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Pray these for your spouse, for your kids. Pray these over your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Pray this for your, your boss. Pray, please pray these for me, all right? Here's what you wanna pray. Pray they'll grow in love. He says that your love will grow more and more. Pray for people you love that they'll grow more in love. And then pray that they'll make wise decisions. He says that you will fully know and understand how to make the right choices And then pray that they will live with integrity. He says in verse 10, I pray that you live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. And then lastly, he says, pray that they'll become like Jesus. Now that's a great prayer outline right there for you. And you have it in your notes. You can pray these four things for me any day of the week. Please pray these over me. Pray that I'll grow in love. Pray that I'll make wise choices. Pray that I'll live with integrity and I'll finish really well. Pray that I'll become more like Jesus, right? Wouldn't you like more Jesus here every Sunday and less Darren? I know I would, right? You're not sure how to answer that, right? Because you love me. All right, number three, I must expect the best from people. I must expect the best. 
These things are so simple for me to teach, but they're so hard to actually turn it into a habit. We don't normally expect the best from people around us. We actually expect the worst. Tracy, the other day, was starting to tell me about, hey, I got a text from so-and-so, and they said that, and my heart just, I like braced myself for some negative input, some negative reaction to something. And I thought, why am I doing that emotionally when I haven't even heard what was said? And it turned out it was really positive. And God was just reminding me, Darren, don't default to that. We don't realize it, but we often expect people to let us down. And we generally find whatever we're looking for. You know, if you're looking for good in others, you see good. You just love them. When you start looking for the bad, that's all you see. Have you ever heard somebody where they start to have an issue with somebody and then all you hear is negative, negative, negative because they just kind of have to bury the person verbally or emotionally? And Paul's saying joyful people make it a habit to believe in people rather than to criticize them. Verse 6, I am confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice the word confident. I'm confident of this, that God who began the good work will carry it to completion. I'm expecting the best from the people in my life. Now, here's three things that bring out the best in people. He believed in people. Believe in people. Make that a habit in your life. He says, I'm confident in them. Do you give the people in your life confidence Do you give them confidence? Well, how do you do that? With your words. Do you build them up? You're a person, right? Right? Okay. Isn't it interesting how like somebody can make the smallest little comment, just something that's a little bit affirming in some way, and it just like your soul goes, like you take, oh, that felt good. You might even tell your spouse, you know, so-and-so said this, or it just, it, it, it can be something just, in passing, you know, you just, it just, man, that felt so good to hear those words. He believed in people. You can carry that. You can deliver that to other people. I was at uh, Starbucks this morning, and I was, I was, I'd already walked out of the restaurant, and the Holy Spirit said, turn around, go back in, and give, the, give a message of hope to this person. Give them a word. And so I go back in. I sat down next to the guy on the sofa. I said, hi, I'm Darren. I, I'm not weird, honest. I pastor Brave Church. I just want to share something with you. And I gave them what I felt like God wanted me to say to him, what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. You can, because Christ is in you, you can tune in to and give words of encouragement and hope to other people. You can be all about that, and you're going to live a really, really happy life. On the other hand, if you're critiquing everybody and everything around you, you are a very unhappy person. Listen, don't tell people like it is. Tell them what it could be. There's no, you know, you're not cool or strong. I just told him like it was. Uh, That's kind of your lower self at that point, right? Paint a picture with your words of what could be, what could become. Give them hope. This is what I see in you. Secondly, he gave people vision. What God started in you, he's going to finish. He paints this picture. Study after study shows that, listen to this, we tend to live up to the expectations of other people. When people expect the best of you, you tend to do better. When teachers expect the best of their students, students just, you remember like when you were a student and you had that, that teacher, I remember Mrs. Denny, second grade, she was so hot. 
and she was beautiful, and like she could say anything, and I'd want to, I'd want to learn. You know, it was just like she was in crazy. You know, it's just like when people expect the best in you, it encourages you. Listen to this. This is really important. We tend to become what we believe the most important people in our lives think about us. We tend to become what we believe the most important people in our lives think about us. And Paul says confidently, I expect the best from you. And then he says this, he was patient with people's progress. That's the third thing he was. He was patient. He said, I'm confident of this. That's God, God who began a good work in you will carry it out. He says process, and process. he's gonna complete this. You know what patience is? To me, it's this. I'm at peace with God's pace and agenda in my life and the lives of others. Why is that so important to your happiness? If you insist in perfection in other people, you are going to be miserable the rest of your life. No one will measure up. And if you're always expecting perfection from people before you can actually enjoy them, you are never going to be happy with anyone. You keep deferring your current potential of happiness. So learn to celebrate people. Celebrate them for how far they've come rather than judging them for how much farther they still have to go. When, when Samuel and Isaac were really little, my, our, our sons, they would draw, you know how kids, they'll draw little pictures and bring it, hey, daddy, look at this, you know. And I would just say, man, that's perfect, Samuel. Wow, that's perfect, Isaac. Great job. Now, when I was looking at that, you know, four-year-old's picture, it was not a Rembrandt. You know what I'm saying? By the way, I don't even like Rembrandts. Have you ever seen them? Anyway, I, I'm looking at this thing. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. Stop, stop it. All right. But I'm looking at this picture, and I mean, it's, it, what I'm saying when it's perfect, I'm saying at your stage of life as a 40-year-old, that is perfect. And by the way, with art, it's so subjective anyway, right? God doesn't wait until you're mature to start loving you. Give that to other people. God doesn't wait until you're mature to start loving you. Do that for other people. Paul says in verse seven, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. That phrase, I love that in my heart. This is a real key to happiness. You've gotta let people into your heart. There's people here that I'm your pastor and there's people that you haven't decided yet because you haven't let me into your heart. I understand that. Hear me. You've got to let people into your heart. That's what makes life rich. Some families are like, you live in a family, you're just good at including and bringing everybody along and including people. That's a wonderful attribute. Some people struggle with letting people in. Let people be great in your lives. What I mean by that is, it's okay, you know, I don't know that it's all that bad putting somebody up on a pedestal in Christ Jesus. Hello? In Christ. Follow them as they follow Christ. Let somebody be great in your life because we live in a very negative society that's an anti-Christ spirit. The anti-Christ spirit is against all biblical authority and authority being expressed through leaders who are biblical. It's an anti-Christ spirit. So it's always about diminishing people in your life. It's about destroying the, the, the family and all authority structures in America and in our world. That's the antichrist spirit. 
to bring destruction to all that is good and in place. We need to respond in an opposite spirit to that. Let somebody here be an uncle and aunt to your kids. Let somebody be a grandma and grandpa. Let somebody be a dad figure in your life. Let somebody be good in your life. You need that. Let them in your heart. Honor others. Give them a special place in your heart, and you'll be a much happier person. And that leads us to our final habit, number four. I must love people like Jesus does. I must be grateful for people in my life. I must pray for the people in my life with joy. I must expect the best from people, and I must love people like Jesus does. Verse eight, it says, God is my witness that I tell you the truth when I say that my deep love for you, my deep love for you all comes from the heart of Christ Jesus himself. I love this verse so much because I identify with it. You know, Paul started the Philippian church. He was the first member. He was their pastor. And so I identify with how he felt about this church, how I feel about each of you. And I want you to know how grateful I am for you, how full of joy that I feel when I pray for each of you. And I want you to know that I believe in you and that I have confidence in you and what we're going to do together. And I want you to know that it's an honor to serve you and that I'm giving my life every day to you because I want to. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what real love is. Christ gave his life for us, so then we ought to give our lives for others. What is that reference? It says 1 John 3, 16. Does that remind you of any other verse, John 3, 16? The same guy wrote both these verses. You know that what the problem with relationships are today is we know John 3.16, and we're all excited about how much God loves us and what he does for us. And many of us can quote John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the way to salvation. That's the way to having your past forgiven. That's the way for your purpose in life. That's the way to have your home in heaven. We're so grateful for God's love, John 3.16. But then John wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 John 3.16, and he says this, and this is real love. God gave his life for us, he gave his son for us, and we must do the same thing. How does that get lived out? One thing that comes to my, as a pastor, one thing that's on my heart is our new kids director, Kara Stewart. She's now every Sunday ministering to the kids and is not in either the 9 a.m. or the 10.30. That's just all about love. That's just all about us saying, what can I do? How can I serve? How can I help other people? How can I be part of the family? It's not just coming here and being a partaker or a consumer, but it's saying this is my family and we love each other. How can we help one another? If we could do that, if we could give our hearts to each other, there would never be a need If we could love each other, we could work through any relational problems. We could experience true joy. And as we close, I I just want to ask you to do a personal evaluation. Which of these four habits do you need to work on? I think I probably need to work on all four, but who do I need to be more grateful for? And it's not just like you're driving home, I'm so grateful for so-and-so. Call them, tell them, write them, express it. It does them no good for you to think it. 
Who do you need to appreciate, give honor to in your life? That's the first habit of happiness, to just be really grateful for people. And then secondly, when you're praying for people, that you pray with joy in your heart. Pray these four things, that people will grow in love, that they'll make wise decisions, that they'll live with integrity, that they'll become like Jesus. And let me ask you, do people have to be perfect for you to enjoy them before you accept them, before you honor them? And number four, who do you need to start loving from your heart? to give your heart to. And in this series, we're gonna talk about true joy. So I want you to make a commitment to be part of this series every Sunday. I want you to learn the habits of happiness in your life that'll change your life. And the first step is to begin to follow Jesus. So would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind to close your eyes. And if you're here today and you've not made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you may not understand all of that, but you may be here today and something in your heart is just saying, you know, I'm ready to do this. I've been exploring this. I've been checking things out and, and I want to make a commitment in my heart to begin to follow Jesus. And if that's you, I'm not gonna have you stand. I'm not gonna have you come forward, but just right where you're sitting here this morning, just slip up your hand before God and say, God, that's me. I wanna make that commitment this morning. Does anyone wanna do that? Anyone need to do that? Just slip up your hand so I can see it. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We thank you for forgiving us of all of our sins. God, thank you for loving us as immature people. Thank you for loving us as imperfect people. And Lord, just fill us with more of your love for each other. Help us, help us to give honor to one another, give appreciation to one another. Let the joy level in our church family just rise as we begin to give our hearts to you and to one another. In Jesus' name we pray.